0: Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Antioch Community Church. So glad that you are here and so glad to worship together. My name is Andy. I'm the executive pastor here at the church. And I'm just full of faith and expectation today that God wants to do something in our hearts. He wants to do something in our lives. And I really believe that as we dive into his word, and as we intentionally seek after him and say with our hearts, God, I want to know you. I want to I know you more, that his power and his spirit will allow the, the word of God to come alive, will allow the eyes of our heart to be opened, and that a revela- true revelation of God would hit us once again, that would cause great transformation and great life and great joy to come forth. That's what I'm believing for today. And I just love this family. I love this family, this group of people that God has assembled, that we are um, we're not perfect by any means, but we are people who are devoted to Jesus and his purposes in the earth. We want to worship him and give ourselves fully to him and what he's about. And we, and we want to do it together with one another. So, so thankful that you are here. And also wanted to, in light of family, wanted to let you know that next Sunday, we're going to be having a, a special service that we do about once a year. We call it the State of the Church. And it's an opportunity to, to bring a report to the church about how things are going. We'll be able to highlight a few things that, that have happened uh, over the last 12 months through our ministries and to celebrate um, some key wins and things that we've seen happen uh, in, in the life of our people. We'll also be able to bring a financial report, how we finished out 2022, and use that to springboard into the 2023 budget be able to share some vision of what we're believing God speak and what direction we're going and what things he, we feel him calling us to focus on. And, and so we'd love for you to be there with us. It, it may feel a little bit different than what we typically do on a Sunday, but it's still family. We're a family. We're just coming around the table, having a conversation and together, learning about the things that we can celebrate and learning the things that we can continue to contend for and believe for together. So we, we'd love for you uh, to be there uh, next Sunday. Um, my wife and I moved here to Arizona 11 and a half years ago. And and when we did, a lot of our friends and uh, those who who knew we were moving here strongly encouraged us to visit the Grand Canyon. They said, "You, you gotta go visit the Grand Canyon. It's amazing. And it's one of those places that... Uh, just seeing a picture of it or a painting of it or you know a, a, in, in a book it's just it won't do it justice you actually have to go see it in perpo- see it in person to get the the true experience of it and um, I and it wasn't actually until recently that that I actually went ahead and, and went there and so uh, that was partly because I, I wanted to but also because I I literally was running out of reasons to explain to people why I hadn't seen it yet you're like You've lived here 11 years. Why haven't you gone to see one of the wonders of the world? You know, good question. I don't know. I don't want to have to answer that question anymore. I'm going. I'm going to the canyon. And when I got there, what I found was that what people said about it was exactly true. There are no pictures or photographs or paintings that can capture what it's like to stand on the edge of the rim and look out into this vast chasm of God's creation, and the adrenaline that you feel, I mean, I, I can even feel it now. Maybe it's because I'm here on the stage or, um, or remembering what it's like to, to stand on the edge of the and Like, wow, that's a long way down. Wow, this is enormous. And it was there, it, when we were there, I, the, the best word that I could describe was perspective. It gave me perspective about how big God is and how small I am. God is... Enormous, and he's glorious, and he's beautiful. That he could create and make something that I, and I'm just so, so not that. I'm so small comparison to him. I've been thinking about that this morning as we are continuing our series, and the reason is is because I I believe that one of our roles as pastors here at uh, church on Sunday, as we bring the word of God to the people, is to paint a picture for everybody about what God is like. We want to we do our best with our words to, to, to try to convey who God is and what he's like. But ultimately, our desire is to paint a picture, not just so that you can sit there and look at it, but so that you can say, you know what, that is actually really appealing. I want to go and see it for myself that we were, we're not made for just a, a second-hand understanding of who God is, someone else saying this is what God's like and that being enough, but rather it's meant to create in us a hunger and an appetite of, wow, if that's what God's really like, then I'm going. I want to go to the canyon and I want to see it for myself. And that's, that is my hope and, and my prayer this morning is that as we dive into God's word, as we continue our series in talking about God's presence, and we talk about what we find there in his presence that offer all of us, as the Holy Spirit, again, jumps off, the, uh, jumps off the words of the Bible and works in your heart and works in your life, you would feel something inside of you compelling you to say, I got to go. I, I got to see it. I, I, I want to be there. We've been in this series uh, called Nothing Else. It's focused on God's presence and, and about how we can be, as a community, be a people that, uh, that prioritize his presence and that everything we do and everything that we are um, it surrounds it, that God's presence is central to, to, to our lives and, and to the way we do church and way that, the way that we do life together. But one of the goals also of this series is, for, is to actually define what we mean when we say presence or God's presence. Because what I fear is that when we use that phrase or use that, that word frequently, And we don't actually take the time to define it. It can become, it can start to feel like a mystical word or a super spiritual word or a Christianese word or maybe an Antioch word. But I don't want any of those things to be the case. I want us to see that it's a Bible word, that the presence of God is a, that is a very much what we find in in the Bible. And the reality of his presence and the presence being made available to his people was something that he established from the very beginning. And as we define what it means, his presence, which is his closeness, his nearness, the ability, his, him dwelling among his people, that they can know him and encounter him and experience him and have a relationship with him. There's, I just want to take a moment to, to really draw out the significance of that in two ways. The first is l- looking at the idea of presence versus absence. The the God of the Bible is a God who has declared himself to be present when all the other gods of the, uh, uh, at that time of the people of the Bible, the other gods, so-called gods, lowercase g gods, that were worshipped at that time did not present themselves that way. They, they, were not, they, didn't, they didn't show up on the scene or the peoples of the earth did not worship gods who dwelled among them. They were gods who were absent or distant, far away. And actually, that was part of how they pre- preserved this, this idea of, of power and authority is, as actually the, the distance between them and the worshiper. And the, the goal of the, was the, for the worshippers was to try to perform religious activity and duty and, and ritual to get their God's attention in hopes that they would have favor upon them and bless them. So when God shows up on the scene and says, actually, I want my presence to dwell among you and, and I want to be Emmanuel, God, with you, that's an entirely different concept. That, goes, that flies contrary to everything that the people of that time would have thought of about God. And so what God is doing by making his presence available to us, by saying that his presence will go with the people of God in, in, throughout the Old Testament in particular, he's saying, I am altogether different. I am am not like the so-called gods of this earth. I am a different, I am a different Lord altogether. I am Yahweh. The second thing I want us to see is that God's presence isn't just um, some obscure little experience that that happens here and there throughout different stories of the Bible. God's presence is a central ingredient in God's narrative from beginning to end. From beginning to end. It's, and it's, it's part of God's creative, creative order. If we look at uh, the Garden of Eden, we see uh, Adam and we see Eve. And they are made to be God's image bearers. And they live in this place called Eden, this beautiful place where they're meant to thrive and flourish. And it says that God was there with them and he spoke with them and he talked with them in the cool of the night. And it's there we, we see all the ingredients of God's created order present. The people of God, bearing the image of God, enjoying the presence of God in the place of God. And all of, even though Adam and Eve, even though they, they rebelled against God and they, they, they turned from him and they chose their own path, God has, from that moment, been trying to work all things back and restore all things back to what he originally made them to be. And we see with the, with the people of God, um, that God delivers them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and he brings them uh, through the wilderness, and he says that his presence will be with them. A cloud by day, a fire by night, the tabernacle is a place of worship, the meeting place between God and man. He gives them the law and he says, because I want you to be holy as I am holy. I want you to look like me. And so the people of God, they're learning how to bear the image of God once again. They have the presence of God and ultimately they're moving towards Canaan, a promised land, the place of God, people bearing his image, enjoying his presence, moving toward the, towards his place. Jesus steps on the scene and he continues this narrative. Jesus is the perfect image bearer of God, the perfect glory of God made manifest in the human. And he calls people to himself to be patterned after his likeness. And say, actually it says in the word of God that he's the second Adam, the firstborn of a new creation. And he's calling people to himself who would be born again by the power of the Holy Spirit to be image bearers like him once again. And he gave us his presence when he lived on the earth. And then actually he said, it's better that I go away because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit so you can have my presence all the time. And he came representing a kingdom not of this earth, but a kingdom from another place, a good place uh, marked by victory and peace and joy and wholeness. And that's the kingdom he came representing. The people of God bearing the image of God, enjoying the presence of God, ultimately moving towards the place of God. And in Revelation 21, 22, we see the whole story come full circle. It actually it says in your Bible that there's a, um, the this section of scripture, there's a heading says Eden restored. Eden is restored, where God's intended purpose comes, comes to pass. And it's this beautiful place uh, marked by God's majesty, a place of thriving and flourishing, where the people of God from every tribe, nation, and tongue are no longer marred by the effects of death or sin or illness or pain or striving. All of that goes away, and we are perfectly as we ought to be, the image bearers of God. And it says that there's no temple there because God is their temple. He is the place to meet with him. He is there, the people of God, bearing the image of God, enjoying the presence of God in the place of God forever. Isn't that an amazing story? Such an amazing story. And so the presence of God isn't just this cute little idea that we find here in in the Bible here and there. If we want to be a people of his word... If we want a people who live out the word of God, then, the, then pursuing the presence of God and living in his presence and seeking it needs to be a, a centerpiece of how we live our lives, how we, how we seek after him, and, and ultimately how we give our devotion to him. The presence of God is very much central to being the, his people. And so this morning, what we are going to do is we are going to talk about um, uh, his presence in a new way. And uh, then in a new way, compared to what we've covered the last few weeks, um, and we're ultimately we're going to see that, that for the, the ex- experience that Moses had in God's presence, through that we are able to learn several things of, about what we find in God's presence, and this, ultimately this morning we're going to see that experiencing God's presence is a place of encountering His goodness. Okay, we're going to be encountering the goodness of God today. What we've covered so far is, is Moses, again, through Exodus 33, we've seen that God's presence is a place to experience intimacy and friendship with God. It says that Moses spoke to God face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Did you know that literally the word presence can be translated as face? It's face. And you think about what that means, to look at someone's face, to have a conversation with them. To, to be there with them, to have communication with them, to be close to them. That's what you experience in God's presence. It's, it's his face. God dwelling among his people and offering his presence is a place to see his face. The second thing Moses experiences is affirmation and authority. He says, God, you're, sent, you're bringing us to the promised land, but we need you to go with us. We can't, we can't go alone. We can't go without you. You being with us is what authorizes us. It's what proves and shows to the whole world that we truly are your people. And so we learn that God's presence is, is that place of affirmation and authority. And last week we saw that God's presence is a place of, of God's pleasure and his favor. And, and ultimately we see that Israel's disobedience from God lost them. The, the promise of his presence, but it's, it's Moses' pleasure and favor with God and his communication with God and requesting of that God change his mind that ultimately um, brings that promise, allows that promise to be restored. And so it, the, God's presence is a, is a place of pleasure and favor. And so today, again, we're going to look at God's presence as a place to meet with him and his goodness. And so we're going to be in Exodus 33. And we're going to focus in on on verses 18 through 23. But what I'd like to do is I'd actually like to read the whole passage starting in verse 12 so that we can get the the, the context of this conversation that's happening between between God and Moses. And I think that will help us as we unpack this text together. So we're going to be in 33 starting in verse 12, and then we'll really dial in at verse 18. This is what God's Word says. It says, Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. So the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and know you by name. Okay, verse 18. Let's, we can dig in here. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, in response to that, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. By reading this passage in full form, we see that there there is this conversation, this back and forth dialogue happening between Moses and the Lord. And just for us to get our bearings here, in Exodus 24, God had given Moses the Ten Commandments on, on tablets of stone. Moses comes down from the mountain and he finds that his people have I've already rebelled against the Lord and I've already disobeyed the command and we're worshiping idols. Moses, infuriated with the people, throws the the tablets of stone down and and then God says, you are a stubborn, stiff-necked people. You can have the promised land, but I'm not going with you. So we then fast forward here to this moment. This conversation is happening at the tent of meeting. It's not on the mountain. It's speaking about something that's about to happen on the mountain, but it's, it's a conversation in the tent of meeting. And what we see here in this conversation, there are three requests that Moses makes of God. The first we see is in chapter, um, uh, in, we're in chapter 33, in verse 13. It's, he says this If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Let's paraphrase this. What Moses is asking for is for God to show him who he is so that Moses can know, because from Moses' perspective, the more that I know who God is, the more that I can live in a way that's pleasing to him, and the more I can do to ensure that God stays with us. God, I want you with us. We need you with us. We can't do this without you. You've called us to be your people, but this ain't gonna work unless you're there. (laughs) This is not gonna work unless you're there. So please just show me who you are so that I can do everything in my power to keep you with us. And God says to Moses, I will go with you and I will give you rest. That's verse 15. Sorry, that's verse 14. Verse 15, what we can see is actually that 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 wasn't exactly what Moses wanted. He wanted something a little bit more. And based on Moses' response, we can gather why that response from the Lord wasn't exactly what he wanted. He emphasizes here, if we read it again, it says, Lord, if, you, if I may, Lord, if your presence does not go with us, with all of us, then, th- then this ain't gonna work. Basically, what we can gather, then, is when God, God said, I will go with you, Moses, he was promising his presence to Moses specifically, but not to the nation corporately, and Moses says, yeah, I, I, that's nice and all that, that you would be with me, but I don't just need you to be with me, I need you to be with all of us. You have called us to be your covenant people, to live under your covenant blessing, to, dis, to display to the world the glory of who you are. If, unless you're going to be with all of us, this is not going to work, and so... So that's why he asks the second time, God, please, won't you be with us? And God responds by saying, I will do the very thing you have asked. I will do the very thing that you have asked because I, have, because I am pleased with you and know you by name. Moses was, had a place with God where God was pleased with him, and Moses was able to stand in the gap between God and the people and be able to say, God, won't you change your mind? Once you do something differently than you said you originally would do. And because of that pleasure and that favor he found with him, God, it was according to according okay, okay, the finite story, God said, okay, I'll actually do the thing that you asked of me. What a picture of intercession. Right? We want to live in a way that's pleasing and honoring to God so we can stand in the gap and make requests of God and ultimately see that as we live in a way that's honoring and pleasing towards Him, that we can have the requests. Um, that we make that are in accordance with um, with God's will. So Moses, he, he, God's promise is to Moses, to him individually. His promise is, okay, I'm going to be with you. Uh, I'm going to be with all of you. So there, if we were to stop right there, you'd be able to say, okay, Moses got everything he wanted. He got everything he asked for, but yet he's not done. And what I when I was reading that, what my heart immediately went to is, Moses doesn't just want the outcome. He wants the person. He doesn't just want the gift. He wants the giver. There's something in his heart. He's saying, yeah, I'm I'm really glad that that we're getting, that you are gonna be with us. But in in the end, Lord, there's actually something deeper inside of me. I wanna know you. I wanna know you. I wanna be close to you. I want you to reveal yourself to me. I wanna walk with you. I I wanna live in, I wanna have your favor and your pleasure. I I just, ugh. I need to know you, Lord. And so he says, he makes a request that's similar to the first, show me your ways, but it's even more grand. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. And that word glory could be understood as the word weight, not like stop, wait. It's the weight of something, the substance of something. God, show me the substance of who you are. I wanna know the the totality of who you are. I wanna know your characteristics and your your attributes and your features, not um, not, not physical features like, oh, you're this tall and this big, but I wanna know you as a person. I wanna know you inside and out. Show me your glory. What a hunger for the Lord that, that Moses has. He has his answer, he has the outcome, and yet he's not done. He's saying, I want something more. I don't just want the gift, I want the giver. And then God's response, is incredible. He says, okay, you have asked for my glory. I'm responding in the affirmative to that request. But the word that he uses that he's gonna show Moses is not glory, the word he uses is, is goodness. Goodness and glory are used interchangeably here. Moses says, I want your glory. And God says, okay, I'll give it to you. Here is my goodness. And the goodness of God is his glory. The glory of God is his goodness. God, in this defining moment, church, this is a defining moment for the people of God throughout all history. This moment that's happening between God and Moses is forever gonna be what the people of God know about God, see how they're meant to see him, what they're meant to think about him. And remember, in comparison to all the other gods of all the other nations on the earth. And he's like, the one thing that I want you to know about me, you wanna see my glory? The one thing that I want you to know and that will be declared and shared for for the, the people of God for all generations is that I am good. And he says that I will proclaim my name, the Lord. My, he says, I will proclaim my name, the Lord. We've, we've covered this before, but we know how significant names are in the Bible. Every name is given for a purpose and for a reason. It signifies their character or their identity or their history or their, their, their role and their purpose in God's plan of redemptive, in, in God's plan of redemptive history. Every name means something. And God is saying, I want what to be associated with my name is the substance of who I am, which is my goodness. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. I am good. The world that we live in has a lot of things to say about the existence of God and has a lot of things to say about the character of God. But ultimately, at the end of the day, God's self-proclamation, his disclosure of himself is that he is good. If there's one thing that he wants us to know about him, it's that he is good. And so I encourage us today, no matter where we're at or what we're going through, what we're facing, what difficulties arise, I encourage you to see it through the lens of his goodness. Sometimes what we tend to do, what I tend to do, is I, t- I sometimes find myself drifting into evaluating God and egal- evaluating his character o- according to my circumstances. And say, well, because I'm going through this and this, God, are you really good? Are you really there? But rather, God wants to turn that upside down. And he wants us actually to evaluate and interpret our circumstances through the lens of his goodness. There is, this is what's going on I don't fully understand it, but God, I know that you're good. And so, Lord, help me see your goodness in this. Help me understand what you're after in this. Help me understand what the redemption of this is going to be, what it's, what's creating and doing and transforming in me. We can see the circumstances through the lens of his goodness. God has defined himself for us in his word and has proclaimed himself. The substance and weight of who he is is his goodness What I love to do now is I love to, to, to move forward into Exodus 34. Because again, this conversation between God and Moses is in 33 is happening at the tent of meeting. But God is speaking about something not he's doing right then and there, but something he's about to do. And so we want to just jump forward a few verses into 34 and see the fulfillment of that conversation. So uh, Exodus 34, we're going to start in verse and, and, and verses one through three are really are going to be the finishing of that conversation. And then verse four is when we see the fulfillment of the thing God promised He'd do. Verse one The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready in the morning, and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. Close conversation. Now now comes the event that happens. Verse 4. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And in that moment, Moses bowed to the ground at once and he worshiped. We see God with Moses. He's reinstating the covenant, which is, a, again, a promise that God is, is setting the, the people of God apart to be his people, and he's, he's renewing the covenant. He said, okay, let's try again, and he calls him up to the mountain where that can take place, and it's here on the mountain that this encounter with God unfolds, and the first thing I want us to see is that Moses was standing on the mountain, and then it says God descended, on the, descended down onto the mountain like a cloud and stood there, and proclaimed His name the Lord. And as I was reading that, what, what I immediately felt was, was different times in my life when I've said, "God, I, just, I know that you're real, but I just need to know it again. Could you just show me again that you're real and that you're with me?" I don't know if you've ever felt that before. You're just like it's just in times in life where like you know, maybe you're struggling a little bit with unbelief or you just need that reassurance. God is not a God who wants to keep his distance. He's a God who wants to draw near, and he wants to, to, to descend and stand next to you and declare his name, the Lord, and say, I am with you. I am with you. And then the next thing that happens is really where we're gonna spend the rest of our, our, of our morning together, because it, it, it's there where the, the, the continuation of this encounter with God unfolds. God does exactly what he said he's gonna do. He puts Moses in the cleft of the rock, and he, he passes over him, And as he does it, he said, I'm gonna have all my goodness pass before you. As he does it, he begins declaring things about himself. And what we can understand is that this is what God means when he says that he's good. This is his expanded definition of goodness. I'm gonna cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and so you know what I mean. I'm gonna share with you these things about who I am. And this is what he says. He says, the Lord, the Lord compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin, not leaving the guilty unpunished, but exercising justice when it's called for. This is what I mean when I declare that I am good. Moses says, show me your glory. God says, I'll show you my goodness and when his goodness shows up, he says, these are the attributes or the facets or the aspects of my goodness. And what's amazing about all of these things that these are, that can only be experienced relationally, he doesn't just say like, I'm big, you know, or majestic, or powerful, or mighty, you know, he's like, these are very relational things that God would disclose about himself. How do you know someone's compassion unless you experience their compassion? How do you know they're gracious unless they're gracious towards you? How do you know that they're loving unless they show you love in a, in a personal and in an intimate way? God is saying, this is how this is who I am. My presence, in my presence is my glory. My glory is my goodness, and my goodness are these relational attributes that define who I am, that can be known and experienced by my people. And he he's inviting us into these things. He's inviting us to to know him in these ways. I just want, if I could, I I just want to walk through uh, what's, just even expand even further what these definitions are. These words that God uses to describe of himself. He says he's compassionate. Compassion means to, to feel what others feel. It means to suffer with Someone, When God, when we do not behave as we ought to, God is not just frustrated about our behavior. He actually sees what's underneath our behavior. He knows the hurts and pains and wounds that we carry and how they manifest themselves in our waywardness and our rebellion. And so he's after the thing that's inside of us that's broken because of his compassion. And he says, if I put my finger on that thing, that's the power that actually can create real and lasting change. I'm not just wanting to modify your behavior. I'm wanting to heal your heart. He's gracious. He's gracious. Grace is all about the severity of consequences in response to someone's errors or wrongdoings or sin. And being gracious with someone means that you're going to be more benevolent and more gentle and more kind and more forgiving than the, than the, the wrongdoing would actually call for, than the, than the person actually deserves. God is incredibly gracious with us. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He's always much more abundantly good and generous towards us, even when we don't deserve it. It says that he is slow to anger. He is patient. He has a long fuse. He doesn't just give us the back of the hand when we don't do what we ought to. He endures with us. That that word patience is long-suffering. He endures with us through our missteps and our failures and mistakes and the things that we regret, he endures with us and he hangs in there with us and he says, okay, now try that again. No, that wasn't quite it. Try that again. Closer, but not quite. Try that again. And again. And again. He's patient. He doesn't give up on us. He is love. And he, it says he maintains love. He keeps his love on. It's so easy for us when people hurt us or betray us or when they frustrate us, it's easy for us to turn our love off and say, you know what, I'm just gonna remove myself from this right now. God doesn't do that. He keeps his love on. His love stays on towards us. And it says that he's abounding in his love. He doesn't begrudgingly love us. He's not like, all right, fine, if I have to. Fine, yeah, I love you. No, he's like, I love you and I delight in loving you and I find pleasure and joy in loving you and I'm overflowing and abounding in loving you. If love was a liquid and there was a cup, it would spill over. There wouldn't be enough cups in all the cabinets and all the kitchens in all the world to hold the love of God. It's so overflowing and abundant. And he is faithful. He's faithful to his promises, of course, but he's more than anything, he's faithful to himself. And he continues to be himself no matter what we do even when in this relationship with him, even when we don't behave or act in this relationship according to what he's asked us, he doesn't stop being himself. How often do we say, well, you, you were mean to me, so I'm gonna be mean to you. God doesn't do this. You sinned against me, I will love you. You've hurt me, I'm gonna to continue to love you. You have disobeyed me. I'm gonna restore you. God is faithful to himself. Nothing that we can do will change his nature. He is who he is. He is the Lord. He is forgiving. When forgiven, forgiveness is spoken of biblically, it's it's often spoken of in, in transactional terms and financial terms where the guilty party is expected to make repayment for the error or for the wrongdoing or for the sin to re- to restore the, the suffering party, and to restore the relationship. And yet with God, we see that his forgiveness is the, it's the Grand Canyon of forgiveness. It's altogether different because God, he absorbs the loss himself. He doesn't demand repayment and say, you need to pay me back for that. We couldn't repay him back. In fact, what I will do is I will actually make payment on your behalf. I will give you my son, Jesus, so that you can be made whole and our relationship can be restored. That's the forgiveness of Yahweh, the forgiveness of God. And finally, justice. Justice is the fair and the appropriate treatment of sin and evil. Sin is the destruction and the distortion and the perversion of everything that God made and made to be good. Sin is like an open door that invites, that invites death into our world to destroy the things that, that God made. And so the only just and appropriate way to deal with sin is to destroy it because that's what, it, that's what sin accomplishes. It only ushers forth death. And so to deal with it justly is to, is to, is to kill it. And yet God's justice is always flavored by his grace. It's always flavored by his mercy. It's always flavored by his compassion and his patience. Because ultimately we see in the Old Testament, God provided a substitute on the people's behalf where payment was made and justice could be administered, but not to the sinner, but onto onto an unblemished lamb. And ultimately we see that in Jesus. Jesus steps in and takes our place so that we the guilty ones could be forgiven and set free. And the way we can understand that gospel truth is a, a great quote from John Piper. He, he says, it's, it's the wisdom of God that conceived a way for the love of God to deliver us from the wrath of God without compromising the justice of God. That is the goodness of God. That is, God is good. He is so good. And when I think about these attributes, again, because... Because it, the, the, they exist on words on a page and because God is not right now isn't a physical being with us, it can be so hard to how, God how do I engage with these things with you? how do I experience these things with you? And what came to mind for me is is thinking about the relationship that I have with my kids and how I'm called to embody these characteristics and attributes of God and I'm, I'm meant to love them and be good to, towards them in a way so that they, that through that they would be able to see God in me. And ultimately that the way that I am towards them would point them to him and that they would wanna know him and follow him and worship him. And I'm drawn to worship as I, as I think about that because there are moments when I, when I feel like I get it right. Like, wow, that was, I feel love for you and I'm loving towards you and I'm forgiving towards you and I'm compassionate towards you. Like, wow, that's, that's amazing. And then I realize I am but a finite being. I'm so limited in what I'm able to provide. And, I, and th- I think this is pretty good. How much better? How much more? How much more pure and complete is God's attributes and God's features towards us? If I'm able to feel this at some measure, which is, again, in the perspective of God is so small, how much greater is God's love for me? And I'm just drawn to worship like, wow, God, you are incredible. You are amazing. And then I, I, the other side of that coin is I feel it, when I don't operate in these things, when I don't embody these things well, when when I'm not the image of God that I I know that I ought to be for my kids, I don't show them God well. I think of our our daughter, Elise, she's three. And she is um, a beautiful and wonderful and delightful and sassy and spunky little thing. And oh, I love her so much, but she can also at times make me crazy. And right now the thing that's making me crazy is bedtime because she's very specific about what bedtime is gonna look like and what she wants it to look like. And she, a bedtime looks like her mom reading her a couple books and then her mom singing her a couple songs. And then I come in and I sing her three songs, the same three songs every night. <laughs> one of which, one of which is Oh Holy Night. Let me just say this to you, I can't sing. I couldn't carry a tune to save my life. And so night after night, I have to listen to myself butcher the most wonderful Christmas song of all the Christmas songs in all the world, every night. Oh, holy night, okay? And then then she says, I'm not done yet. Then I gotta get down on my knees. She climbs on my back and like flips herself into her crib. And then I have a few more things I need to say to her every night and it's funny and it's wonderful but there are some days when it's been a long day and I'm like Mm-mm, no you got to go to bed you know it's just like I I just can't do this anymore and then she looks at me and, and of course I give her you know I'm wrapped around her finger and do what she wants but but there, but my I feel my patience is worn thin and I'm like I'm not doing this because I really love you I'm just wanting to get this over with that is it, you know that's an ugly moment there are other ugly moments when I don't embody and reflect God's heart and his character well. And what I feel in that moment is God is not like me. He's not like me. Maybe there are moments when I look like him and I do it well, but, I, but God is not like me. When I'm broken and I'm impatient and I'm mean and I have a bad attitude, he's never like that. He's never like that. And I'm drawn to worship and I say, oh God, I, let me never project onto you what I'm like. You are so beautiful. You are so wonderful. Thank you that even when I'm impatient with them, you never lose your patience with me. I'm not talking to you, Siri. <laughs> even when I am not loving towards them, you are always loving towards me. Even when I am not good towards them, you are always good towards me. His presence is a place to meet with his goodness, to know his goodness. And as we have painted a picture for you this morning, I, my encouragement is please don't just, just sit where you are and say, oh, that's a great picture. I think that is enough. It's never meant, that's never meant to be the intended experience. God is saying, but I wanna be, I want you to know my goodness. will not you come and see it for yourself? And so here in a moment, we're gonna move into a time of response, but I just encourage you and urge you church, if there's a place in you where you just like, I need to know his goodness again. I need to experience his goodness again. Maybe I'm just stuck in sin in this pattern of sin. God's compassion can set you free. Just his compassion alone can, and his understanding of you alone can help free you. If you're in a place where you're like, I did it again. I know I'm not supposed to do that and I keep doing it. God wants you to know that he's made payment for that. And he wants to wash over you with his forgiveness. God wants to show you his faithfulness. He wants to show you that he's he's abundantly loving towards you. Whatever your need is, let this space up here be be a place like like the Grand Canyon, like the cleft in the rock for Moses. Let it be a place where you can come forward and see it for yourself. Why don't you pray with me? God, we love you and we need you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you, God that you are incredibly good, that that is your definition of yourself. That's not something that we are just trying to spin and make sound nice. That's how you have identified and, and defined yourself to us. You are good. And we wanna know your goodness and we wanna see your goodness and we wanna encounter it here this morning, Lord. We don't just want this to be another day of church. We wanna meet with the living God. And so, Lord, would you begin right now through your spirit, would you begin drawing people to yourself? Would you begin working on different hearts in the different places that are, that are broken or, or hurting? Lord, would they need you just to wash over them with your goodness? Won't you begin drawing them to yourself now and compelling them to, to draw near and draw close? We, we need you, Lord. Just as Moses declared, we can't go forward without you. We are saying here in this moment, God, we don't wanna do church without you. We don't wanna do anything that we do without you. You must be present. And we know that that's in your heart and desire for us as well. You are eager to meet with us here in this place. So we seek you. Why not you show up in power and show up with your goodness in Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand to your feet. And our ministry team leaders, if you're here, you're gonna, um, I love you just to, to, to move more to the sides. And I just, again, I just want this space up here to be available. And if God is stirring you and you are feeling the draw of the Lord, if like I wanna know God in that way, in, in the ways that you have described, then please come forward. And this is space available uh, for you to be able to do that. If you have any other need, you can talk to one of our, team lead, our ministry team leaders on the side. We love you, we care about you, and we wanna pray for you. But let's not leave this place without responding to God.